So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 11. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for forty-two months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred sixty days, cloth and sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. And if any would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because the two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The king of this world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nation raged by your wrath, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. So reading the word, you may be seated. It's always Reve- <laughs> Revelation is, is always a, a heavy chapter, no matter which chapter you find yourself in. But this is this is one that has caused much speculation throughout the the, the history of the church, and, and I hope to shine some light light for you on that today. But I want us to think about witnesses. What do witnesses do? If you were to go to a court, why would they need witnesses? They need to have a testimony. Somebody needs to, to have evidence of what you have done, whether to prove your innocence or to prove your guilt. And we have here, speaking of two witnesses that, that are sent by God. You know, I, I can remember a story in my life, in my family's life, where we needed some witnesses. So many years ago, there was a point in time where we had just bought a brand, brand new minivan. It was less than two weeks old. We were out by the mall, just, just driving, getting ready to go to the mall, and we, we were going to cross the street. The light was just turned green, and we were ready to go. And all of a sudden, I yelled at my wife to stop. A, a car from the other lane blew the red light, didn't stop at all, going about 50 miles an hour. And we ended up hitting the, the back rear passenger side of that car. The car then flipped, turned on its side, 
Uh, this is out by McCoy Avenue, out by the mall, by Steak and Shake. You guys know where it's at. And so the, the SUV started to slide and then hit the curb, and they started to barrel roll 10 to 12 times. You know, thankfully, we, we were okay. You know, it totaled the front end of our car. We had some airbag burns and, you know, a little bit of traumatic experience. But all things considered, we were praising God because we were not hurt. You know, we could have been killed in that accident very easily. And the other person wasn't wearing their seatbelt. And she, she had a lot of damage done. By the time the car stopped, she was behind the back seat. Nothing else. Please wear your seatbelts. It can save your life. But there was many things that happened in that moment, many things to give God praise for. I give God praise. This lady just dropped her child off at daycare. Thank God for that. That child could be dead today. I give God praise for that. I also give, give God praise for when we, when we bought our car, you know, I'm usually skeptical of, of salesmen. They, they tend to want to upsell you stuff. And they told us, you know, you really need to buy this thing called gap insurance because you're upside down on your trade. And for whatever reason, though, that day, the salesman was just extra good. So they convinced me. And so I bought this thing called gap insurance. And so we were upside down, I think, about $4,000 on the car we traded in. And then if you know anything about cars, once you drive a new car off the lot, it's worth about half of what you just paid for it. And so by the end of the day, the, the, our van is totaled. And, and the insurance company comes and takes the van, writes us a check for, I think it was like $17,000. And we have a $30,000 note. Uh-oh. <laughs> I was glad I bought that gap insurance that day because what gap insurance does is in the event that that should happen, you total your new car, they will pay the gap of what the insurance company did not pay. And so when we went back to the dealership, they said, you should do commercials for gap insurance. <laughs> but the reason we needed witnesses is when we got out of the car, everybody was swarming to, to see what happened. And there was 10 to 15 people making sure we're okay, checking on the other car. And, and making sure everybody's doing well. And then what happened? The cops show up to see what happened in the investigation. And everyone leaves. No one's willing to be a witness to what happened. And so we go to court. And this poor lady, she, she had part of her head was shaved because of the stitches. She was, she was really in a lot of pain. And she was very upset. She was wanting to sue us. And the, the police did their investigation. They said, well, because it happened in an intersection and there's no witnesses, we can't determine fault. So we both had the same insurance company. So the insurance company said, you know, you're both going to plead the fifth. We're going to pay out the damages and move on with your lives. Of course, about two weeks later, that same insurance company gave me a letter saying, I'm no longer insurable. <laughs> and that's, that's the way the insurance world goes. But the reality, if someone would have stood up and been a witness, you know, they would have been able to say what happened. You know, I, my insurance warrant had it been dropped. We wouldn't have to worry about you know future lawsuits from, from this person. You know, our innocence could have could have been maintained. But there was no such that day. And luckily this was a car accident. This wasn't something major. Again, another example of witnesses that we're gonna need in just a few weeks, June 17th, there's a wedding coming, right? Amen. Somebody's nervous back there, I can see it on his face. <laughs> it's okay, we all are. But they need witnesses. When you come to to, to a wedding, you're coming to a worship service, but you're also coming to witness before God in the state that this man is joining this woman in holy marriage. Amen. I will be a witness as a minister. You will be witnesses that those are here. And there is one in heaven who will also be a witness. For, for marriage is not what this society makes it out to be. It is a, it is a holy covenant between man, woman, and God. 
And so you'll be there, and we'll be celebrating with them, enjoying that time, but we will be witnesses. When Jesus was arrested, what, what did they call? They said, go out, find some witnesses. Because they didn't have the authority under their own law to arrest Jesus unless he had committed a crime, and there had to be at least two witnesses. Ironically, in the, the state of Texas, if there's two witnesses to you committing a, a crime that comes to the capital as punishment, they will send you to the front of the line for death sentences. Over and over, our culture is based on, on the Bible and the law that is set up. When we look at this, it comes directly from God in Deuteronomy chapter 17. We read, If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the host of heaven which I have forbidden, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates the man or woman who has done this evil thing. And you shall stone the man or woman to death with stones on the evidence of two witnesses. God has clearly established that there needs to be witnesses before judgment comes. So I would ask you, what is God doing in this chapter? What, what are we to learn from this chapter? Why has he established two witnesses in the city where the Lord was crucified? Make no mistake what the city is. It's Jerusalem. Why has he established witnesses? I've told you before, with the sixth trumpet, was the last trumpet where grace will abound. The seventh trumpet marks wrath. Mark's judgment has come. God has established these two men with supernatural powers to give warning, to tell those in Jerusalem and the surrounding countries and the nations to repent now while you still have time before the real judgment falls. There have been seven seals that have been opened at this time and now six trumpets. We read about the seventh one here. What happens with the seventh trumpet? Pure wrath is poured out. God is going to do with all those who, re who reject him. He's going to deal with all those who go after and follow other gods or who blaspheme the name of his son, who blaspheme the name of the Holy Spirit, who has declared from the beginning that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what they, these are to be witnesses of. So there's much speculation on who, who they are. Oftentimes people say, well, these are two Old Testament prophets. Usually they, they pull the names Moses and Elijah. Why do they pull those names? Well, if you look at the, the miracles that these men are doing, the, the way they, they stop people from murdering them, they sound very much like the things Moses did and like the things Elijah did. But I would remind you of the Archangel Michael that we read about in the previous chapter. How is he described? He is that mighty angel who has a little scroll. The scroll's not little. Michael is very large. With one foot he stands on the seas, and the other foot he stands on the land. What are his legs made out of? Pillars of fire. Where have we heard pillars of fire before? Go back to Moses in the Old Testament. When they're in the wilderness, and the Egyptians are hunting them down at night, a pillar of fire would stand before the Egyptians and the Hebrews stopping the Egyptians from slaughtering the Hebrews. Came time where, where they were being hunted down. And during the day there would be the pillar of the, the cloud. And that is what 
In Revelation 10, you read about the angel. He's got a cloud that surrounds his torso and his upper body. But he also has a, a rainbow about his head, which also re reckons back to Noah's day. And when through uh, tribulation and judgment, the people were delivered. When Moses delivered the people, not just out of Egypt, but away from Egypt, where they can no longer touch them. It was the parting of the Red Sea, where Moses and the people entered on dry ground. I want you to understand the miracle that, that happens with Moses. It's not just that a mighty gust you'll see on history channels and things where they try to explain away the miracle of the Red Sea. They say, well, if a strong enough wind gust came, it could part the waters. It cannot make the ground dry. Amen. The scripture says that the ground was dry on the land that Moses and the Hebrew slaves walked through. But when the Egyptians saw that the sea had parted, they went after them. It doesn't say the ground was dry for them. They were walking in mud. And as soon as the Hebrew children got to the other side, what happens? Judgment comes down on Pharaoh and all his troops. In the scriptures in, in Exodus, God tells Pharaoh, you will know that I am the Lord. What did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh claimed to be God. There are many people in, in our world who claim to be God or who act like it, who think they are mighty, who think that they are higher than the heavens. Chiefest among those is Satan. Mm -hmm. Understand why the judgment is coming, what this angel tells us about these two witnesses. This angel is telling us that through judgment, the people will be delivered. The remnant of Israel that turns to the Lord their God will be delivered. What did Jesus say to Israel when he will return? He said, I will return when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's saying, when you as a nation acknowledge me as your Savior, I will return. If you go to Israel today, we've talked about this. There's been the first regathering of Israel. Regathering and unbelief. These are uh, Jewish people, truly. But they have not yet believed in Messiah. They have not yet given their life to Jesus. A day is soon coming where that will happen. And they will plead for the Lord to return. But I want to show you why this cannot... These witnesses cannot be Moses or Elijah. And there's another person that is, also, is often named as Enoch, why that cannot be. First, let's touch on Enoch. He's the easiest to, to show why it cannot be him. Enoch is said in Hebrews, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he, he was commended as having pleased God. What happens? In the Old Testament, there's this man named Enoch who is righteous before God, who is taken up into heaven. It's the first appearance of a rapture you'll see in Scripture. But what happens there? As he enters heaven, his body is no longer that corruptible, diseased, sin-ridden body. He has put on the incorruptible. The mortality has inherited eternal life. He is now immortal. Do you think Enoch is going to come back in an immortal, imperishable body and be able to be killed? These two men die. I understand that clearly. They have immense abilities that is given by God, but they do die from the beast, the Antichrist that is to come. So it cannot be Enoch. And it is the same with Elijah. He is called up in a whirlwind. And then he put this here because it is, it is prophesied that Elijah will come again and Elijah will come again. Just in the same form as the spirit that John the Baptist had. He was the forerunner to Jesus. He was the second witness to Jesus. And Jesus, they accused Jesus of testifying and uh, being a witness to himself. He said, I have another, John, 
who you went out to see. But John said, I am not Elijah, for Elijah is yet to come. Elijah will come be before the beginning of the tribulation and, and testify and bring back the people of Israel to the faith in their Messiah, Jesus Christ. So it is not Elijah. So that leaves us with Moses. We see in Jude that, that God and Satan are contending over the body of Moses. He sends Michael. We don't see Michael being sent too often unless it's to deal with Satan. We talked about that last week. But Michael then raised a charge against Satan. He said, the Lord rebukes you. And why, why is this contention of the body? It's because Moses has been taken up. That's why you see him at the transfiguration with Elijah. Dead men don't just appear as ghosts. You'll, you'll read of no ghosts in the Bible. There are angels, there are demons. There's not ghosts or anything else of that nature that the, the world will tell us about. So we clearly see that these are two men of of the current day standing that God will raise up. He will raise these men up and give them this power just as he gave Moses the power, just as he gave Elijah. He does not need to bring back people from the past to do this. The one from the past that is coming is Jesus Christ, and he is the one that we look forward to. Let mm -hmm. us not waste our time trying to identify who these two people are, but understand their ministry is to testify that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I want us to look at ourselves today. Is there anything different about these men that's different from you? Is there any reason God chooses these men and not you? No. If you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Amen. To you the same charge and the same ministry is given. You are to go and boldly declare the gospel to the lost sinners of this world. I was one of those. And somebody declared the gospel to me. And God worked on me through a long period of time, but it came to a point where, where I believed. And I know many will have a very similar story to that today. That they could tell you that someone has shared the gospel with them. And then that the Holy Spirit convicted them in their heart that it, it is true and they turned their lives to God. That is what we are all to do. We are all to be witnesses. That's why Jesus sends them out two by two to give witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he died on the cross and he rose on the third day, just as the scriptures have declared. We see all throughout scriptures, time and time again, God will send people out. But what is unique about being Christians is God has called each and every one of us. You don't get to say, well, that's the preacher's job or that's the missionary's job. They're supposed to go tell people about Jesus. Yes and amen. They are supposed to go tell people about Jesus. But so are you. Amen. If you love me, You'll do what I have commanded. That's what Jesus said. Do you love him? Amen. You share the gospel. If you can't say yes to that second question, the answer to that first question is an utter no. You are a Pharisee then. You are ashamed of Christ. You would rather have the, uh, the uh, approval and appraisal of men. You'd rather have your neighbor like you than to share the utter truth and love of Jesus Christ with them. This is the judgment that is coming. That men have rejected God. And hell awaits those men. And many here today will go through the tribulation rejecting God, denying Him, try, trying to placate the authorities, trying to placate those in power, say it's okay, we, we could all get along. There's not going to be all getting along when Jesus returns. There will be one kingdom, one government, one authority, and that is Jesus Christ. 
There will be no coexister, coexist bumper stickers in the kingdom. There will be no mosques. There will be no synagogues. Understand that Christ and Christ alone is to be worshipped. God and God alone. But too often we, we want to be comfortable. We, we don't want our relatives or our neighbors, our friends. We don't want to tell them about Jesus Christ because they may not like it. Or they'll push us away. Or they'll label us those, those Bible thumpers, things of that nature. Well, you know what? At the end of days, you're not going to stand in front of your friend and say, Did I live my life well? Can I enter your kingdom? No, your friend has no kingdom to enter. Their kingdom will be hell. And even hell is under the authority of God. Understand, you will stand before God. And it is to Him you must give an account. So what will we do this today? Are we going to be people that go out and are willing to share the gospel? This church tells me they want to get out in the community. Do you? Yesterday I told you we were going to be, be at MLK Junior Park sharing the gospel with people. Outside of my family, nine others showed up. There are a lot more than nine people here right now. I know some are traveling, some have work. I give you grace. But understand, if you want to reach the gospel, it's more than the pastor. Right. If you leave just the pastor to do it, your pastor's going to get burned out and frustrated. Amen. You can't expect just the preachers to do it. Because it's not just the preachers who are called to do it. It's not just the preachers who have been offered eternal life. If you say you want to be out in the community, be out in the community. Amen. I don't have to tell you where to go when, when to do it. You are all Christians. You all have the same Holy Spirit. There's nothing unique about me that you don't have. There's nothing that these two witnesses that will be in Jerusalem have that you don't have. You have the same power that God has given you. The same Holy Spirit which raised Christ from the dead lives within you. There is nothing, there is nothing at all you cannot do for God if He's told you to do it. But we too often we sit around on our hands and are waiting for others, looking around, is somebody going to do it? We all have great ideas. Don't tell me your ideas. Go out and do it. You don't need my approval. You need God's. Amen. 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 We to that time in service where I want you to examine your hearts. Does Christ know you this day? Oftentimes preachers will say, do you know Christ? But at the end of the day, we know many will say they know Christ and they'll come before him and he'll say, I never knew you. Get away from me, you worker of iniquity. And they'll be cast out into utter darkness we call hell. Does Christ know you this day? I'm going to have my brothers come back up and sing us one more song. Listen as they sing. Allow the Spirit to work on your heart. Amen. Let us come together and truly be brothers and sisters. Not just in word and, and fellowship, but actually in the ministry of the gospel. We must be a gospel-driven church or we are no church at all. Amen. Pray with me. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. I do give you thanks for all my brothers and sisters here, Lord. May we always feel your conviction and your, your desire by your Holy Spirit to go and seek and save the lost. That is why you sent your disciples out, which we are a part of now, Lord. The same command holds true for us. I pray for my brothers behind me the pages, Lord, as they lead us one final time in song, Lord. And if there's any here who does not know you, allow them to come down and confess you now. It's in your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.